Yeah, sure. I'll figure there, something. There'll out. be something funny in there. Probably right. just be Mark right. with saying twelve inches of pleasure with lots of <laughs> echo. <on it. laughs> twelve inches of pleasure. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, producer of the upcoming Chaz Jankel box set featuring four previously unreleased albums, including his tribute to The Clash, Rockin' the Chazba, his reflections on the Vietnam era, Chazualties of War, his concept album about a man who gets trapped on a deserted island, Chazzed Away. And, of course, his unreleased Halloween novelty album, Chasper the Friendly Ghost. Wow. <laughs> Pre-order your copy today at www.chazbox20.com. Shut up and take my money. Brilliant. Oh, I am just going to follow that up with a whimper, basically. But I'm co-host Jeremy, and in the spirit of uh, bringing... British culture here to America that we'll be talking about today. I figured we should uh, bring some English soccer hooliganism to our fine city of Kalamazoo. So I'm going to start the Kalamazoo Football Club's new superfan squad, the Blockheads. Oh, (laughs) yeah. There it is. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I am co-host peter cook author of the new compelling music history book which came first hit me with your best shot or hit me with your rhythm stick spoiler alert it was the rhythm stick one it's it's a pretty short book (laughs) (laughs) that more of a tweet or just a book it's a book yeah somewhere in between okay all right and we have with us a very special guest Back for the second time, Mark Weathersby, a.k.a. DJ Mahogany. Welcome, Mark. Well, thank you guys for having me. Once again, my name is Mark Weathersby, owner of Chasanova Juice Bar, where everything costs $1.09. Boy, do I have a sweet array of flavors for our listening audience. Come on down to Chasanova Juice Bar. Love it. (laughs) Wow, that was one of our better guest ones we've ever had. Well done, Mark. (laughs) Well, thank you, gentlemen, and thank you for having me back. It's really good to interact with all three of you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, well, my my, uh, thirst feels the need to be quenched. What did you bring us to do that, Mark? Well, to quench your thirst today, I brought you guys a great, fun album from an artist by the name of Chaz Jankel. And the name of that album is Questionnaire. That's its US title. Its UK title was Chess Nova. And it is a record I discovered in a dollar bin at a defunct Atlanta store, Atlanta, Georgia store called Full Moon Records. And man, 
this album surprised me in the most wonderful way. It is such a fun album. And this song, this whole album, actually, all the songs, just makes me want to get up and shake my booty. I just love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, this, this album surprised all of us, too, and we'll get into that. But where do we want to start to, you know, get the people's booty shaken, Mark? All right. So this track I would love to start with is my favorite track on the entire album. It was a huge hit in the dance clubs, and it's just simply entitled Glad to Know You. Yeah, a huge hit. In the States, even. Yeah, huge hit. Topped the dance charts for seven straight weeks. Amazing. A triple-sided 12-inch single. It's amazing. I dig it. I love this song. Yes. Well, we will talk more about Chaz when we come back. But yeah, let's get into Glad to Know You, Side B, track one. you said this album was a nice surprise to you i think it was a nice surprise to all three of us as well i was kind of blown away by this record you're currently two for two on bringing stuff off our radar that is pretty amazing you got this and then what record did you bring to the people last time johnny mathis's i'm coming home mm-hmm. which which sean had been a, a doubter of prior to that i'm sorry to 
call you out again, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I did on the episode too. <laughs> not afraid to admit when I was wrong. Not afraid to admit when I haven't heard about amazing albums like this one before. But man, especially as a DJ, I got to say, I got to find this record because I know I'm going to just play it a ton once it's in my collection. This album is just so much fun to just to dance to. That track specifically is such mm-hmm. a fun track to dance to. I just can't, I couldn't even sit still while we were just listening to it. I was dancing in my seat, so it's great. Yeah, and for me, dance music very easily triggers my cheesy feelings that I tend to dislike. But this, at no point during any of these songs was I like, this is cheesy. It's uh, like really clever lyricism going on at times. And like very laid back vocals. It didn't feel over the top vocally at any point. So, yeah. Plus, I don't know if we mentioned this yet. This is 1981 for dance music, electro funk like this to sound not very dated. It coming out that early is pretty incredible. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it seems to be looking forward to a lot of the like later 80s dance music trends. You know, a lot of stuff in 80 and 81 was still very disco influenced and you could kind of hear the growing pains of switching into something new, but this is like fully formed and ahead of its time. So, so right on point about that. And like I said, the way this record kind of initially came into my life was a friend of mine at the time bought his debut album and I would DJ a lot around town and play a lot of dance music. And he said, Hey man, I bought this album by this gentleman named Chaz Jankel. And he asked if I'd heard of him. I said, no, I haven't. And um, he said, it's a great album. It really surprised me. And when he showed me the record, I said, Hey, there's a track on here. I'm familiar with. I know Corita. And um, I said, that's a Quincy Jones track. And that's when I saw that it was Chaz who originally created that song. That really blew my mind. And you guys featured the dude on one of your previous episodes as well. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit about Chaz on that episode because we featured that song. Yeah. And so that name stuck in my head. And when I was digging, I came across this record. It's like, hey, it's a dollar. Let me check it out. And I am so glad I did because that record stayed on my turntable for weeks after I bought it. And it, and it's still a mainstay on my turntables. Even when I go out and DJ, I can play Glad to Know You. And people still wander up to the DJ booth and like, what was that? Who was that? Because the track is just so wonderfully infectious and full of just fun joy. And just like Jeremy mentioned, the lyrics are just so sardonic and cleverly written. It's just, it's just such a great, great track. Such a fun song. And I just have the biggest smile on my face while we're talking about it. It just makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely one that'll stick with you. I can see why it was a big hit. It's so cool because that topped, I read it topped the Billboard dance charts for seven weeks. And it was the biggest selling 12-inch single of 1982. <laughs> wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super, super wild. I've got to get my hands on a copy of that 12-inch single. So it was a triple-sided or triple-A-sided single. So all three singles on that A-side topped the Billboard dance charts. And the B-side was I Know Corita. So that was pretty cool. 
Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I was like a triple A side when I saw that. <laughs> you know, we recently on our John Fogarty series talked about, you know, how bold it was for him to be putting out those double A sides. And I was unfamiliar with a, the concept of a triple A side. I, I was as well until I saw that and I was like, whoa, that really blew my mind. I was like, that's pretty amazing. I yeah. I looked into that a little bit trying to figure out which editions of that existed on Discogs. And from what I can tell, that was like a, a triple A side that was released like a year after this record kind of thing. So they were taking songs that were already hits and just trying to like repackage them to make more money. It's not like it was intended as like these three songs are all going on the same album and no one's heard them before. But it still sold well. But it still sold well. Yeah, those those three songs, everyone was like, oh, wow, this is everything I need right here on 112-inch. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, well, thank you for clarifying that detail. You saved me a For the Record, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome. Uh, yes, yes. But old Chaz, man, he's, he's, I'm glad he came into my life. And I'll come to, back to this later. But he actually came into my life unknowingly in a very unique, wonderful, and different way. So keep that in your back pocket. I'll come back around to that later. Fantastic. <laughs> well, do we want to um, maybe get into a, a, another track and then talk about his background, Mark? That sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Moving right along. What are we going to listen to next? Next up, we've got one of the tracks on that best-selling 12-inch single. And the name of the track is simply entitled Three Million Cents. <laughs> yeah, three million cents. No more, no less. Yes, just, you know, three million. Excellent. Well, we will listen to this and come back, this very curiously titled piece. And we'll say more when we come back. Right on. We're talking a little side B, track four, the final track on the album. Seven, eight, nine, 
something I found amusing about the way this track is credited on the jacket for this album. The music is credited to being written by Chaz Jankel. The lyric is credited to Philip Bagginall, who's one of the producers and engineers on this record. Simply, I think, because he's the one counting off throughout the track. <laughs> he, he's credited as vocal and dubbing, so I think that's why he got the lyric credit on that track. I was hoping he'd go clear to three million, but he seemed to kind of reset around 30, it sounded like. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, oh, he's going to somehow in the time allotted count to three million. <laughs> that would have taken the track up a whole another level i think if that would have happened that would have been pretty amazing <laughs> <laughs> but pretty amazing track as it is it really is when i listened to this track initially it gave me vibes of one of my favorite songs from prince's 1999 album which came out basically like a year later and um it was prince's lady cab driver and it just kind of has that same feel, that same kind of sort of um, synthy beat, um, that funk. But what is so fun about this track is it starts off as this strong, funky, synth-y kind of sound. And then it evolves into this kind of experimental track with, you know, voiceovers. And it just dissolves even more into just experimental noise and and, and 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 dance music and it is such an incredible incredible marriage of just i don't know um fun experimental sounds and noises and dance music and i, <laughs> I am just so impressed with Chaz and really what he did with that track it's so cool that's one thing i noticed when i listened to his original version of i know Corita today so remember we had mentioned that he was the writer but i'd never listened to his version before and he gets a little experimental on there too um, I was kind of listening to it and thinking, man, I think this is actually a better version than the Quincy Jones one. As much as I love Quincy's version from the dude, like the Chaz version has just got a little more power to it. It's a little really more interesting. It does. And it's a it's quite a, a lengthy track. I think it clocks in at like maybe nine minutes, nine plus minutes. Yeah, I was also surprised how little Quincy had changed. He just kind of added some like extra frills and like shined it up a little bit but all of the concepts were already there from Chaz. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so I'm so glad you mentioned that because I had the same feeling back when we did the Quincy Jones the dude episode. I I checked out the original version expecting Quincy's version to be this huge expansion upon the original and that was not the case. No. <laughs> and, but, and so but you and so Mark what you said about you know this giving you vibes of a Prince track that came out the following year, you know, if, if Quincy Jones was looking to this dude as someone to keep your eye on, it's very possible that Prince was as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the layering of, of the music, the program, it's just, oh man, I just love that track so much. It's just such a fun way to close out that album. It's just great. So who's going to tell me who Chaz is? Mark, well, I think that is your undertaking. Well, let me tell you and the lovely listening audience out there a little bit about Chaz Jankel. He was born under the name of Charles Jeremy Jankel. That's Charles with an S. 
He was born on April 16th, 1952, which I think makes him an Aries. I am an Aries as well. Um, he was raised in Stanmore, Middlesex, England. And he learned to play music at a very young age. At the age of seven, he learned how to play guitar and piano. So he was pretty much a child prodigy when it came to music. And he was encouraged by family members to work on that gift. And at the age of 14, his mind was blown by listening to Lee Dorsey's Get Out of My Life Woman. Mm. And that basically took him down the path of R&B music, where he discovered Sly and the Family Stone, which became his personal heroes. He became a huge Sly Stone fan. So later on, he ended up joining a band in the early 70s called Byzantium. And they were on Warner Brothers Records. They were kind of like a folk rock band. He stayed with them for several years. And then he left in about mm, 73, met Ian Dury. And they started writing songs together. Chaz mainly wrote the music. And it was Ian who wrote the lyrics. And then after collaborating, they met bassist Norman Watt Roy. Um, drummer Charlie Charles, Mickey Gallagher, John Turnbull, and Davey Payne, and they became the Blockheads. And Ian Dury and the Blockheads were born. And um, they went on to have numerous hits, thanks to the musical talents of Chaz Jankel and, of course, the band. Chaz wrote a lot of the music, and Ian wrote a lot of the lyrics. Um, other band members, of course, chimed in, and then in... 79 while Ian and the Black Kids were on tour. Apparently, Chaz was with a very lovely lady. And um, one night, he started humming what became I Know Corita. And at that moment, he decided, hey, maybe I should go solo. And um, <laughs> that's what he did. And he released his solo album shortly thereafter. And then shortly after that, he came out with this fine album questionnaire now in the uk it was entitled chasanova which was kind of an inside <laughs> joke because his debut album was self-titled chas jankel the second album was chasanova which is still spelled with an s and so the people at a&m records the label he was on thought u.s audiences wouldn't catch on to the pun so they just changed the album title to questionnaire and boom, released it here in the States. <laughs> just what we want in America, a questionnaire for our, you know, rebellious music yes. <laughs> in, our, in our party times. <laughs> yeah, he had uh, Ian Dury and the Blockheads. He had been behind two, their two really big songs, Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick yes. and Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Yes. Lots of ands in there. <laughs> Two fantastic yeah. songs. I really, really love Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick. It is just got such a unique groove to it. And you can really hear Chaz's sound, his his the Chaz sound, as I like to call it. Well, yeah, it doesn't sound unlike what you're hearing on this album. Yeah. And it's probably worth noting Ian Dury wrote the lyrics to Glad to Know You, the first song that we featured, and on a number of the other tracks. Yeah, they still collaborated together, even when they were separated. Yeah, and the Blockheads are on here, too, or at least some, some of the members. 
Charlie Charles, who you mentioned, he's on this record on the drums. And Norman Watt Roy is on the bass. Listening to these tracks, his bass playing is, is on point. On point. Great, great bassist. Yeah, he. I guess I saw that he also worked with The Clash. He's all over Sandinista and wow. cut the crap. <laughs> yeah. And he worked with Nick Lowe and Roger Daltrey from The Who as well. Oh, geez. I didn't even know that. Yep. Norman Watroy, a bassist to be reckoned with. Wow. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's really, really cool. I dig that. I had no clue. That's why I love being on this show, and that's why I love listening to this show. I always learn something new. So that's, that's pretty awesome. When I was reading up on Chaz, I was pretty surprised to see that he was in Ian Dury and the Blockheads. It's a band I haven't really listened to that much. I mean, I know they're associated with like the stiff records and pub rock scene, which is not something I've ever been huge into, so I haven't like listened to a bunch of those bands, but I was also pleasantly surprised in listening to them. And like you said, like they're rock songs, but you can still hear that really funky guitar style that he's got going on. I thought it was really cool to listen to them in the context of hearing his solo work first. It's quite amazing. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Chaz helped Ian with one of his solo records around the same time he was working on Questionnaire, between the debut album and Questionnaire. And I think they worked at Compass Studios with uh, Sly and Robbie, uh, which you guys have mentioned on several previous episodes as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's becoming a regular mention here on I'd Buy That for a Dollar. Yeah, yeah. I was, Compass Point. I was, I was very, very surprised to hear about that, so I've got to check that record out as well. Well, Mark, where do you want to take us next on this sonic adventure through Questionnaire? I would love to take you to 109. It's the first track on side one, and it was the first track that poured out of my speakers, grabbed me, and I was like, this album has got something special behind it. I just knew it based on this opening track. It just filled with so much joy and, ugh, and it's, it's just so much fun, man. I just really dig this track a lot. And um, I don't know if one of you guys are going to talk about this, but we can talk about this when we come back. But it has a unique, special guest on this track in terms of backing vocals. I was going to mention that, but yeah, let's, let's, uh, should we say that after we come back? Let's say do who it. Is on backing? Yes. Okay. Let's do a little bit of that 109 side A, track one.
right on. That is such a fun opening track. 109, Chaz Jankel with backing vocals by a lovely young lady named Laura. I never know if I'm pronouncing the last name correctly or not. Weymouth, whose sister is Tina Weymouth from the Talking Heads. Exactly. And both of them were in the Tom Tom Club. You got it. Yes! What do I win? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was so fitting and so cool when I saw that. I was like, whoa! I was like, that is so, so cool. And she's kind of sprinkled on this album a little bit. And the reason that she sprinkled throughout this album is because they were dating at the time. They were kind of a bit of an item. Yeah. You know? So that's pretty cool. Chaz was the man in the club scene <laughs> he was he was an attractive dude man he he was a pretty handsome handsome gentleman so i i can see why laura was like Chaz, what's up you know i would have been like Chaz, what's up I, I, he's a chasanova man he's a chasanova come on <laughs> when i was putting together my list of recommended albums that we'll get to later i thought about that self-titled tom tom club record because that's also 1981 and it has the you know their big hits genius of love wordy rapping hood it's got a lot of similarities to it it's not a dollar record anymore so i didn't put it on the list but oh, definite yeah. similarities god that's such a great album such a great great album what did you guys think about this track you know i listened to it for the first time earlier today and i had i guess a pretty similar reaction to you except it was just like man Mark's done it again. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. I really liked the guitar that was like ripping sounding, but was really reserved and wasn't too flashy, I thought. I really, I thought it was a tasteful touch on the guitar. Yep, and that's Chaz. I, I wanted to point out all that he's playing just on that track alone to give you an idea of just how much he's doing on this record. Of course, he's the lead vocal. Piano, Wurlitzer, Claptrap, Hammond, Guitar, OBX, I believe that's the Oberheim synthesizer, and Clavinet. That's just on that track. <laughs> you know, other than that, we, you know, we had the aforementioned Norman Watt Roy on bass, Laura Weymouth on backup vocal, and the, one of the producers, Pete Van Hook, on the Lynn drums. So Chaz is taking on a lot of the duties on this album. Peter Van Hook, who I just mentioned, he was a rock drummer who played with Van Morrison in the late 70s and early 80s. And as a producer, he worked alongside former zombie Rod Argent in producing many hits for British pop folk singer Tanita Tickeram. I don't know if I'm saying that right. (laughs) Apparently, she was a big deal. (laughs) That's really, really cool. Yeah, taking us down a wormhole, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Chaz and Peter Van Hook and Philip Bagenal, who I also mentioned earlier, who was doing the the counting on three million cents, they're all credited with production on this. But Chaz is doing so, so much of this. That's just incredible. I love an artist who just displays his skills on an album, not just by singing and and writing, but I love the skills of an artist as as an instrumentalist. 
and he really displays some some great skills on all these tracks i wish i could have featured all these tracks but you know i can only you know feature a few and i'm very honored to be featuring the the ones we're, we're fe we've just featured so but yeah great instrumentalist strong strong instrumentalist great great dude great dude so what happened to Chaz after this record so he and laura teamed up basically for his third album called Chazablanca. Chaz was initially spelled with an S on his debut album and his second album, but for the third album, for some unknown reason, it went from an S to a Z. <laughs> I was wondering if you had uncovered the reason for that. There is nothing that indicates why the S was changed to a Z, but it is in the um, album title of the third album, Chazablanca, and that one didn't really yield any hits. It wasn't until his fourth album, Looking at You, that yielded a big hit. That information I told you earlier in the episode to keep in your back pocket comes back now. So Chaz Jenkel unknowingly came into my life via a movie. When I was a kid growing up in Greenville, Mississippi. I'm my smelling parents, popcorn. Yes. I'm smelling popcorn for yeah, some reason. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know it's coming. My parents always said that... <laughs> The best babysitter they had for me and my sister was HBO. They could turn on HBO and we would watch HBO like all day and all night long. And there are movies at that time that came on that I deem, quote, HBO classics. And one movie that came on HBO nonstop is one of my favorite 80s comedies of all time. Real Genius with Val Kilmer. And um, <laughs> most 80s movies and 80s comedies were notorious for their montage sequences. And of course, Real Genius has that classic 80s music montage sequence. And it was set to a song called Number One. And on multiple viewings of that movie, me and my sister would sing along. Number one is a highlight in the making. And we just loved that song, but we never knew who did it. And it wasn't until I found looking at you in a dollar bin after buying questionnaire at a dollar bin, because I was such a huge fan of it. The needle dropped on the record. Number one came on. I was like, oh, it's, it's a song from Real Genius. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I found the song from Real Genius. And I was so pumped and excited. It was just such a magical moment. I was like, oh, man, oh, man, it's that song. It's that song from my youth. Oh, my God. I called my sister. I was like, oh, my gosh, I found the song. I found the song from Real Genius. And she was like, you're such a nerd. <laughs> she harassed me. She was like, you're such a nerd. <laughs> but she said, I'm glad you found the song now. <laughs> Sadly, I did not experience real genius growing up. I somehow missed that one in the 80s. The, I, of course, know the, the notorious referenced popcorn scene. That's, yes. I believe towards the, the end of the movie. Yes. Whole, this is like yes. the whole house fills up with popcorn. Oh my gosh, I got goosebumps just by you mentioning that scene. It has some <laughs> of the best ending credits of all time, which is a everybody eating popcorn that has filled up an entire house to tears for fears if everybody wants to rule the world it's just <laughs> incredible it's an incredible ending popcorn <laughs> tears for fears another movie Slow Peter's motion. now spoiled for me oh, oh no <laughs> i'm sorry jeremy what can i do to make it up to you just kidding i actually already seen the movie. <laughs> oh my gosh i was like oh no i ruined it i ruined it 
<laughs> the Val Kilmer movie that I grew up watching over and over again was Top Secret. That was oh, one of the gosh, favorite comedies between my brother and my father and I. We just would watch Top. I think the first night that we rented it, we watched it twice in a row. <laughs> oh, wow. And that's like the first thing I saw Val Kilmer in. You know, he's singing all throughout it. It's a, it's a fun one if you haven't seen it. It's like in the vein of Airplane and those kind of screwball comedies. Oh, man. Yeah. Top Secret. It's just, it's just a, it's a classic. It's such a great, great movie. So after the success of number one on the fourth album, he did indeed record a fifth album. But at the time he was recording the fifth album, his mom had fallen on times where she wasn't well. So he went to go care for his mom. And a lot of songs written during that time came from a place where he just wasn't fully centered. He was taking care of his parents and his mom was sick and she eventually passed on. He did turn the album into A&M Records, and upon executives listening to that record, they decided not to release it. They rejected the entire album and dropped him from the label. But from that, he rebounded. He went on to score movies. He scored the movie DOA with Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan, an underrated gym if you haven't seen that movie. Another HBO classic, Making Mr. Right with John Malkovich. <laughs> um, he scored one of the short films in the Tales from the Dark Side movie, Cat from Hell. And he did the score for Earth Girls Are Easy with Gina Davis. I mean, come on, come on. <laughs> such, a, such a fun movie there. After that, he reunited with Ian in the 90s, and they wrote and recorded a little bit again. He did a jazz album around 2000 that was never released. And if I'm not mistaken, he still works with the Blockheads. Um, Ian passed away sometime in 2000. And so he um, just kind of continues working with the Blockheads on and off. He does a little touring, and, but I think he mainly remains quiet these days. I did listen to a few of his more recent singles from the past four or five years. And uh, it had like a real dance music feel to him, kind of like a house music kind of thing. And he had like a bunch of remixes of some of his recent singles from other artists too. So he's, he's still out there working, making some interesting stuff. He's, he's what, 70 now? Yeah. Yeah. Still going strong. And I love that his brain is still on the dance floor, still in that funk house, groovy state of mind. I mm -hmm. really dig that more than anything. That's awesome. Well, Sean, what I'm curious what did you find for a similar recommended dollar bin heat? Well, I had two artists that pretty instantly came to mind when I started listening to this record, Grace Jones and Kid Creole and the Coconuts. Two artists that we've covered previously. Exactly. There's a few songs throughout here and some just some of the ways they're written and just the the guitar and the mix of dance music and a little bit of rock and pop. Just thought about those two artists a lot. Grace Jones's nightclubbing album from 1981 has the song Pull Up to the Bumper that I think has a lot of similarities to this one. And then, yeah, uh, specifically the Kid Creole and the Coconuts, Tropical Gangsters, a.k.a. Wise Guy from 82 that we featured. And then third one, another artist that we featured from earlier in the podcast, The Human League's Dare, also from 1981. Yeah. Such a good uh, one. That's a good one. It really is. Yeah. 
one of our very first episodes. Yeah, I think it was the third episode we ever did. <laughs> the radiation. Uh, I work as an x-ray tech out there, by the way, everybody. The radiation keeps me looking young and, and, and good, but it be it's messing up my brain. Isn't Keep Feeling Fascination on that album? On Dare? Yes. I don't believe so. Oh, gosh. But I could be wrong. It's been two years since we did that album. <laughs> Reason me, that is my favorite Human League song, and the video for Keep Feeling Fascination is one of my favorite music videos of all time, if not one of my favorite 80s music videos of all time. I love the simplicity of that video. I love how fun it is. I love seeing them all dance in that small room and each of them taking a lead on the vocal. Oh, that video just, oh, it's the best. <laughs> Mark, I think you might be thinking of Human League's 1983 album, Fascination. <gasps> Featuring the tracks Fascination and Keep Feeling Fascination. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that would be the one. That would be the one. I'm telling you, this radiation, man, keeps me looking good, but brain, it's suffering. Yeah, you pay a price. <laughs> well, well, Mark, when you are not suffering from radiation exposure, mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you up to? What do you, or what do you have coming up? What are you up to these days? Well... I have been working, inspired by you lovely gentlemen, I have been working on my own podcast, which is going to finally drop in September. I'm very excited. It's going to be entitled 12 Inches of Pleasure, and it's going to be a celebration of the 12-inch single. And it's going to revolve around things released in a 12-inch format, whether it's a promo, whether it's commercially released. And it's going to span across all genres of music. It's going to be a representation of what I am musically. When people ask me, like, what type of music do you like, Mark? And I tell people, I love everything. My collection ranges from ABC to Weird Al Yankovic. And, you know, you'll find some weird things in my collection, like McDonald and Giles. You'll find, you know, King Crimson. You'll find Linda Ronstadt. You'll find Joni Mitchell. We found Kraftwerk. You'll find, you know, Donna Sommer, Giorgio Moroder, and the Three Degrees. Mark, do you have any Megadeth? Do you have Megadeth in your collection? I think I actually might have one Megadeth album in my collection. <laughs> I actually have a Pantera record in my collection. <laughs> yeah, I have it. I have it all. I love it all. And um, I got to give thanks to my family for that. My dad is who I I still dig with him for records, by the way. Whenever I go to visit my dad in Mississippi, we still go digging in the bins together. I got to keep an eye on my stack because he'll be looking at my stack and he's like, are you going to get that? And I was like, well, I planned on getting it, dad. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, if you want it, you can have it. I said, well, do you want it, dad? Oh, no, 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 no. If you, it's, you, it's in your stack and you can get it. I was like, well, dad, if you really want it, you can get it. Well, if you insist, I'll just go ahead and take that off of your hands and add it to my collection. <laughs> <laughs> but he was the one who said, listen to whatever you'd like. He never put restrictions on what I listened to or who I listened to, whether it was punk or heavy metal or rock or country or jazz. He really pushed me to embrace everything and i'm so thankful to him and my mom for that my mom bought me my first carpenter's record so got to give it up for my mom for buying me my first carpenter's record so got some pretty awesome parents wow 
yeah. I'm I'm seeing how you became who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, where can people find 12 Inches of Pleasure and when will it be available? 12 Inches of Pleasure will drop in September. Please follow me on Instagram. I'm under the name DJ Mahogany, all one word, which is DJ M-A-H-O-G-A-N-Y. Please give me a follow and look out for details. It's going to be coming your way very, very soon. Well, we're very much looking forward to it, and we'll be sure to hype it on all the I'd buy that for a dollar social media as well. Oh, thank you guys so much. And once again, thank you so much for having me on the show. This is one of my favorite podcasts to be on. I'm such a huge fan. I'm thankful to all of you guys for everything you do. Your Patreon is amazing. I'm a top tier subscriber. I get records from the crew every month. It's pretty awesome. The dogs here are excited too, as you can hear. They're excited about the Patreon subscription. <laughs> Patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. There are different tiers of, of your of your Patreon that you guys can, you know, subscribe to. So please check out these guys on Patreon. Lots of special content on their on their Patreon, lots of awesome special bonus episodes. And listen to some of these great previous episodes, man. Some great guests on this show. My friend Leora, who's been on a couple of times. Taylor is such a great guest as well. And you guys bring the most awesome records to the table. I really learn from you guys every episode, and I'm so thankful for that. So thank you. Well, for anybody that's made it this far into the episode and was on the fence of whether you wanted to get into another one, Mark's telling you it's all worth it. Dive in. <laughs> yeah. It is all worth it. You guys are the jam. <laughs> Mark, would you care to tell us the last selection from this fine 1981 record by Chaz Jenkel questionnaire yes. that you've chosen? It's a nice little nifty groove. The name of the track is Boy. Backing vocals by, backing vocals by Laurel Weymouth. It's just got this nice little groove to it. It's got members of the Blockheads playing on it. And this is a special dedication to a sweet man in my life, DJ Wiz Bang Novelties, the groovy dude. And um, it, I just love this track. I love the smooth kind of funky groove this track has. And that's all I got to say. If that's all we got to say, then we can get right on out the door here. So thank you, Mark. Thank you, listeners. This has been another episode of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. We're winding down season three. Just a, a couple more left for you. But in the meantime, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash I'd Buy That Podcast. My name is Peter Cook. I'm Jeremy Ruggles. I'm Sean Hartman. And I'm Mark Weathersby. Everyone, take it easy. Don't be too sleazy.
Just want to...